You're listening to The Big Show with George Russick and Matty Rose on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Welcome back to the program, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. We are into our number two of The Big Show. No George Russick. He'll be back next week. Peter Klein sits in today. Patty Dumas here. GVP's running the board for us today. We're live in the Doug Lacey Basement Systems downtown studio. Worried about radon? We install custom mitigation systems to reduce your risk. To find out more, visit dlbasementsystems.com for a free estimate. Coming up in the hour, got a couple things to throw at you. The significance of Rasmus Anderson's overtime goal yesterday. I got a stat on that. We uh, asked Peter Klein earlier in the show. Rashi Rice would be a number one receiver on how many NFL teams. We're going to get to that answer. And um, I don't know about you guys, but I got bamboozled by a celebrity that I used to trust. Oh, no. So we're going to get into all of that, too. But right now, we do go down the Alice Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to talk to Greg Wyshynski, NHL senior writer for ESPN. Good morning, Wish. How are you going? We've, we've got to simply fix overtime, don't we? Like, overtime is super <laughs> dumb, boring, and we've got to fix it. I watched the overtime last night between the Flames and the Kraken, and I was thoroughly entertained. I mean, I don't think there's any way you can eliminate guys spending a little bit more time in their zone to regroup or, or, or waiting for a change. It's not going to be pedal to the metal, back and forth action, but I did not find that overtime boring. I thought it was pretty cool and obviously worked out okay for the home team or, or, or the team I'm talking to now. The home team. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing, too. The Flames played a very exciting overtime against the New York Islanders before they eventually lost in a shootout. I don't know if it was with you, but we've had this conversation on the show before, and this has been one of George Russick's points, was that overtime was broken. And I'm with you. I don't know if it is broken. I think some teams do it well. I just think that there's some teams that are kind of boring and don't have the guys that can play in overtime. Would you agree with that? Well, I made this point last week when the GMs bought this thing up at their meeting, which I I didn't really even know was going to be a point of discussion, but Mm -hmm. apparently, you know, they're going to commission a study and see if they've got to change the rules and what have you. But like, the, the entire invention of the three-on-three overtime uh, was to prevent shootouts. That's why Ken Holland wanted to have it happen. That's why the GMs adopted it. It was, we don't like shootouts deciding who does or does not make the playoffs, but we understand they're a necessary evil to end these games at some point. And so here is a mechanism through which we can find a way to not have shootouts. <laughs> and so I approach this issue from that perspective which is that if the job of the three-on-three is to prevent shootouts, well, last season, 69% of games that uh, ended in a regulation tie ended in the overtime rather than going to the shootout. That was the highest percentage of games that we've had since the shootout was implemented. So, again, like, if the job of three-on-three is to prevent shootouts, it's doing its job. So I'm not a huge fan of you know, tinkering around with it because some people might find it boring. Uh, and and perhaps making it less effective at the thing it's designed to do. So I think, if I'm not mistaken, at the GM meetings, the two solutions that were maybe proposed or put on the table would have been uh, a, a timer, some sort of a shot clock, and not being able to go back across the red line. Extending overtime to 10 minutes was not something that was necessarily uh, an option. Where do you where do you land amongst those three options as far as the best? direction to go to improve overtime if if they do decide to make a change 
Yeah, I mean, there wasn't a lot of discussion about extending overtime, which is is weird because you figure the longer you play three on three, the more tired these guys are going to get, the more mistakes will be made. And, you know, the longer you play three on three, the chances of scoring a goal you'd figure would increase. Uh, You know, the idea that you're going to put a clock on on teams to have them advance out of their zone, like we are really in crisis (laughs) in, in overtime and trying to juice a little bit more offense and create more shot attempts and things like that. I could see the viability there. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about trying to make it almost like a half court game, basically in overtime as well. But like I said, you know, for, for every overtime that people watch that are like, this is the death of hockey. Like, this is so boring. These teams are being so tentative. There's always that moment <laughs> where somebody does attempt a shot. It does miss the net. The other team gets possession and away we go. Like every overtime I watch has those moments of utter chaos and utter unpredictability. And that's what makes three on three such a special convention. Um, I, again, I, I don't agree that it's in crisis. I think like everything else in hockey, defense is going to win out in the end. Uh, you're going to have coaches. They're going to find ways to control the uncontrollable a little bit more. Um, but I'm still entertained by it. I'm certainly more entertained by it than the shootout. That's for, that's for sure. Well, and, and it seems like the solutions kind of would all come with unintended consequences. Like a- after a shot clock, I can't imagine they just pass the puck back to the other team and go. We'd get a stoppage and we get a face off and then we get it all going again. And with a, a back and over rule, NHL coaches love to coach up some kind of trap. And I feel like that would almost suck some of the life out of it as well. So <laughs> I, I feel like that this could potentially have some consequences that maybe weren't thought all the way through. For sure. And, and Colin Campbell, the VP of hockey operations for the league mentioned that, that they saw thing, you know, like the idea of if your argument is that you want to make overtime more kinetic and, and, you know, more fun, the last thing you want is more stoppages in play and more, and more face-offs. But I mean, like you said, I think there's ways around that. I think you could just award possession to a team at center ice, you know, and, and they get the puck. There's no face-off. Maybe that's how we do it. Three-on-three is goofy, and three-on-three is is not traditional hockey. And and I've always wondered why, when we do these overtime gimmicks, why we try to make it feel like the previous 60 minutes. Like, I think there's a happy medium between it it feeling like the regulation hockey and it not being the shootout. Like, I'd love to see them play around with three-on-three with no no offside. I'd love to see them play around with three-on-three with some other conventions. You know, I... I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not against the idea of trying to warp the rules to make it a little bit more exciting. But again, I come back to the the basic fact that I just don't think it's in crisis like some of these GMs do. Speaking of something that's kind of like what we want, but not all the way what we want. World Cup plans were announced, um, and it, it seems like it's been a bit underwhelming for some. What did you make of the, this four nations uh, proposal that we have? Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm encouraged by it a little bit. So I reported this out on ESPN yesterday. Uh, four teams, U.S., Canada, Finland, Sweden. The current plan would be to have the U.S. and Canada play two games in North America, have Finland and Sweden play two games in Europe. Uh, the winners of those two little mini-series, either by victory, like points or, or aggregate goals, uh, would then play the loser of the other two series, probably in North America, and then you'd have a championship game. So the the possibility exists of the U.S. and Canada playing three games, which automatically makes this concept a win <laughs> in my <laughs> eyes. That'd be pretty dope. I would think we would all love that. Um, look, they in in the the, lo- the the galaxy of solutions they could have come up with to the Russia problem, 
this might be the best. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like when, when I started to kind of dig into it and hear, and hear the, the backstory of it, um, I would much prefer them do a Ryder Cup style four team tournament that you know is going to fill buildings and is going to create, create interest. I mean, you know, for all the people that are rejecting this concept, okay, tell, tell me what you'll be doing that night when Connor McDavid is representing Canada for the first time in, a, in an international tournament like this. And we get to see Austin Matthews and Jack Hughes on the same American team with like Jack Eichel. Like, of course you're watching that game. Um, you know, I'm, I'm happy they're not going to try to make this a traditional world cup. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not a best on best tournament. They shouldn't try to make it into something. It's not. So again, you know, with, with the idea that you wouldn't get Finland, Finland and Sweden in this thing, if you had Russian players, um, I think their backs against the wall. They they created something that that might actually be pretty cool, even if it's not ideal. Yeah, getting getting Crosby and McDavid on a, a Canada team is something I, I think we all need at some point here very very soon. Because <laughs> right? the, the fact that that hasn't happened yet is absolute nonsense. Yeah, and and again, the the, the plan long term is that they're going to go back to a World Cup format in twenty twenty eight, which I know feels like forever from now. But we are hopefully getting best on best in the Olympics in 2026. This is just going to be an appetizer, you know, the year before. So I don't know. As, as long as we can still get a traditional best on best, all the countries are invited thing. Um, I, I think this is a suitable replacement for for trying to just get some international hockey going mid season. I do I do feel bad that like the NHL is creating a spotlight event and some of their best players can't play in it because they're not from these four countries. <laughs> like. Like the idea that the NHL is going to be like, here is the big mid-season thing where all of our stars are involved. And like Leon Dreisaitl is at the window knocking on it, looking forlorn at all the people playing. It's kind of insane. <laughs> Same thing with Pasternak. Him and Roman Yossi. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, Roman Yossi. Like it, 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 it kind of frustrates you. But again, like when you think about, they were in a, I mean, again, like maybe people don't understand, but like, you know, Russia and Belarus have been banned from international competition by the IIHF, the International Ice Hockey Federation, for 2024. They'll probably do the same thing in 2025. Like, you literally had countries telling Bill Daly from the NHL, we're not going to participate in your tournament if the Russians are involved. I mean, th- this is the reality of their surroundings. Like, if you want to see some level of international hockey between these incredible players that have never gotten a chance to represent their countries in a tournament like this, I mean, this this was the the best they could come up with, and and I, I again, it's not ideal. I'm just really happy they're not trying to make it into the World Cup because it's not. And I'm I mean, I'll be watching. I'm, well, probably because I'll be covering it, but I would also be watching <laughs> as a fan because I think it's it's kind of a fun concept. I think Drysaddle's been in Edmonton long enough. We get to to claim him for this one. Just uh, that that logic doesn't <laughs> extend literally anywhere else. Uh, but we, we we get to keep him for for that. Um, his, his Oilers aren't doing, well, so, I mean, oh, I mean li- li- listen, if you're going to be, if, you, if you're going to be annexing talent, I don't think another center is really your need. <laughs> go, go find yourself, go find yourself an eligible non-Russian goalie that you might be able to draft on the team Canada. Cause I think that's really the problem. And by the way, my offer still stands. Hello, Buck from McDavid. It's on the table. I represent the U S <laughs> anytime you guys want to pull trade around that, let me know. That would be kind of like yeah. trades mixing in and like, should yeah. run that up to Jeff Jackson. See what he thinks. <laughs> Uh, oh no go ahead i guess uh, about these oilers another loss that's two down in florida they had won three straight now they've lost two this is a weird time of year but i want to get you read on the oilers before i get into that 
Yeah, I, you know, I think we've been waiting for them to kind of strap the rocket to their back after the coaching change. It looked like it might have been happening a little bit, but, uh, but there remains some, some hiccups, especially defensively. Um, look, I, again, I, I think when they made the coaching change, it was, it was a tough one for me because I thought that there was a lot of things that were happening under the hood with this team that were pretty good under Woodcroft. Like their, their underlying numbers were pretty good. They just weren't getting any saves. Um, that being said, anyone who watched them against the San Jose Sharks knew that they needed a vibe change, right? They needed something to change because things were really getting dire. So they do all this stuff. They hire Connor's junior coach. I'll have hashed and rehashed that already. Um, and I, I still think that of the teams that are outside the playoffs, it might be them and I would probably throw Jersey in there too, as the two teams that could get absolutely rolling, you know, a, a three week stretch that gets them right back into playoff contention. The Oilers have that ability. They, they won 16 of 19 games to close out last season. I mean, they've got that run in. them. It's just a matter if they can find the confidence and build the momentum and, and not have it subverted where it's one step forward. And then, you know, a huge stagger back every week. How do you look at this time of year? Because I, you look at the standings, the Ducks have lost three in a row. They were great to start the year. The Capitals have won five in a row. They were terrible to start the year. The Flames have gone from losing six in a row to points in six of their last seven. How, how, what do you think of teams at this point? Is this team trying to find out what they are? Do you disregard the first bit of the season? Because things are weird at this time of year. They, they are, and, and especially when you're dealing with some anomalous stuff. I mean, I just mentioned the Devils. I mean... They're outside the playoff picture looking in, but they also haven't had Nico Heischer and Jack Hughes healthy at the same time in the last like three, maybe, maybe even months. And so, you know, it's really hard to kind of judge what that team is when they're missing their top two centers. And especially when they're missing their MVP, um, there are other teams too, that have obviously, obviously gotten off to rough starts that could actualize the Minnesota wild have done some pretty good things, but their goaltending has been absolute trash, uh, which is not something that we, we expected, but they're a team that you could feel like could bounce back. The, the number, as people probably know, uh, when we hit American Thanksgiving, is uh, 76% mm-hmm. of the teams that are in playoff seeds make the playoffs at the end of the season. I think, I think we're going to flip that trend a little bit this year. I, I think you know, it's usually two or three teams that are in playoff spots that, that, that end up missing. I think it, it could be upwards of maybe like five teams that are in playoff spots that can end up missing because of how many quality teams just stumbled out of the gate, but still have the ability to, to raise up the standards. And again, you look at like the Capitals and the Flyers and the Blues. Like, do we really, at the end of the day, expect those three teams to be playoff teams? I, I don't, but they're, they are now. And, uh, and that's kind of like what I have my eye on. Given how it all is kind of stacking up right now, do you think we get kind of an earlier start to the, the trade season with a few more desperate teams on the outside looking in? Yeah, that would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that was more we're trying to manifest than it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, you're trying to you're trying to manifest that. No, we still have the the problem inherent problem of of the cap. Um, you know, and and the fact of the matter is, is that the cap uh, muted player transactions in the off season. It continues to mute player transactions now. Um, you need a willing dance partner. That's the other problem with with these early season trades is that you know, you kind of need to find someone else that's struggling <laughs> that wants to like flip the script um, because the good teams aren't really looking to do any dealing right now. So um, I, I hope so. You, you can feel the desperation in certain situations. And, and obviously when you look at a team like Edmonton, the idea of them trying to go and 
you know, find some goaltending help or, or some such or more defensive help uh, makes a lot of sense. So we'll see. We'll see how it shakes out. But again, the biggest two obstacles to that are the, are the cap and then finding a team that's willing to deal with you. One of the um, interesting wrinkles of the Oilers superstars not having a great year is that the Hart Trophy might legitimately be up for grabs this year. I know we're only 20 games in, but do you have any favorites as far as players that have maybe built a little bit of a, a rapport here early on in the season? Well, we ran our awards watch uh, at the end of October, beginning of this month, and it was probably the first time I can remember where, where McDavid didn't get a single first place vote from any of the two dozen voters that we survey, which is kind of like indicative of the season that they've had. Um, a couple of, of names that are, that are on the radar um, are Tammy Panarin has been incredible for the Rangers, like really, really good. Uh, probably the best he's played since he signed there. Uh, Pasternak has provided more than enough offense for the Bruins as they come out of the gate the way that they have. Elias Pedersen, I think, is going to get a lot of support from, from the, the Canucks. Uh, Jack Hughes, now he's back with the Devils. I mean, he, he's going to have a heck of a story to tell because he's on pace to become the first 100-point player in the franchise's history, going back to, like, 1982, right? Wow. So, like, um, those are a few of the candidates that kind of have my eyes on. I think Kucherov might also get a lot of love for uh, the way that Tampa was able to maintain their pace uh, despite the Vasilevsky injury, just by outscoring teams. Um, it's a pretty crowded field, but we are seeing a few players that I think are rising up right now. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch as we get into it. Uh, enjoy American Thanksgiving as well. How do you enjoy this being a, a big-time hockey guy? Well, I, I, I eat as much as I can yeah. on uh, Thursday. Good. And then the challenge this year the challenge this year will be to try to keep it all down as I watch the Jets and Dolphins on Friday. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's going to be my, ch as a Jets fan, yep. it's going to be the toughest challenge. I will have a, a belly full of wonderful food cooked by, by loved ones. And then I will try not to, uh, spray the wall as I watch uh, Tim Boyle <laughs> and the New York Jets take on the Dolphins. Hey, Aaron Rodgers going to be back at practice in less than two weeks though. Yeah, and luckily his offensive coordinator is still there somehow, yeah. inexplicably. And well, the same every, offensive every line. Fires theirs. <laughs> How about that? Unbelievable. Oh, what great luck. Every, every every weekend a new adventure as a Jets fan. Yeah. Hey, enjoy it, man. Uh, we'll chat to you soon. Enjoy Thanksgiving and uh, enjoy the hockey in the meantime. Anytime. Thanks for having me. There you go. Greg Wyshynski, ESPN, senior writer. A lot of things going on in the hockey world. Yeah. But I, I really do feel like this is kind of the twilight zone of the NHL season. Mm -hmm. It is a little weird. Like, you do look at the standings. It's like, boy... It, feels like a lot's going to change. Like, I know it's American Thanksgiving. And it feels like a lot already has. That's yeah. my, that's kind of my point is, like, there, we knew some teams would drop off. Yeah. The Ducks. The Habs have yes. certainly fallen off. Yes. Knew the Capitals would be better. I didn't think they would be able to get this good Yeah, to this point. Red Wings have fallen off, too. Wide open. I didn't realize that. All three of those teams that we thought, oh, is one of them going to be able to take the crown from the Bruins? Nope. Bruins first in the East. Arizona's 4-4-2 four, four, in their last 10. Yeah, they've, they've slipped out. again. Yeah. Man, Oilers are great. eight points out of a playoff spot. Yeah. Uh, like, oh, I get it still. St. Louis and Seattle have pushed their way into playoff spots as well. Humongous yeah. hole. Yeah. Like, I get, like, they're still on kind pace of early for 56 points. Oh, dog. What? <laughs> the Oilers are on pace for 56 points this year. Holy, Holy crap. 
Woof. Wow, that is, uh, yeah, we can dust <laughs> off the woof for that. My goodness. Well, I didn't know it was that bad. Damn. I guess. Great. 11 points in 5-11-1. Uh, hey, they least, won twice on the road. At least if they miss, they can move out RFAs like, or UFAs like Adam Ernie and Sam Gagne. Yeah. If they miss, like, <laughs> Drysaddle's doing extension next offseason. July 1. Uh-huh. It's uh-huh. just it, it, it getting a little snug out there. Is is all I'm saying. Well, well, tight. Well, what do you mean? What do you mean a little snug? Well, I mean, uh, apparently Drysaddle can be a touch pissy sometimes, uh, oh. and so I I just wonder if he is going to necessarily appreciate all the opportunities that have been given to him if uh, this team finishes with 56 points. I have a question: Does Leon Drysaddle make more than Connor McDavid for one season? Seeing as Leon Dreisaitl will be a UFA for one year before McDavid, and McDavid will be paid $12.5 million in that year. So if Dreisaitl goes up to like 13, 14. 13, 12, three quarters. You know, you think about what Austin Matthews got in uh, Toronto. What Nylander's about to get. Well, yeah, I kind of compare Matthews and Dreisaitl a little bit more and, and... Matthew's got 13 and a quarter. I don't I, don't I could see, see Dry Settle asking like 13.5. Like yeah. caps going up a little bit, so let's uh let's bump it up over that. So yeah, I could see that for sure, 100%. The other thing too and people will be like, "Well, you got to leave money on the table so you can build around you because you haven't been able to win." Well, listen, if you had been allocating your funds better, you would have been able to win. Yeah. You would have had a lot more success up until this point if you were the Edmonton. He's making 8.5 the next couple of years. It's a steal. He he has left plenty on the table for them to try to build around. And there you see Adam Ernie. It's the probably um, $2.5 million extra that you paid Jack Campbell because he's probably, what, a $2 million goaltender at best. Yeah. Um, and you probably paid Darnell Nurse like at least two million dollars more than than he. So that's four million dollars right there. Probably would have helped. Yeah, that all of a sudden you can pay all of your bottom six guys double what they are, and you're getting twice as good players. Yeah, by that logic, maybe find another goalie. A bit of fault, flawed logic, but or a goalie. Yeah, well, not easy to do. Teams that have good goalies don't love to give them up, hey. Nope. Don't like. To I have noticed them. that. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. You usually, one, usually feel you like on. you don't want to. Yeah, carry price. Well, it just knows. takes. Yeah. It takes so damn long to develop these guys, and like these teams are not patient. No team in, in the NHL is very patient. To, they want to win now. So if you find a goalie and like you look at Winnipeg and Connor Hellebuck, you sign them long term. Yeah, it might not be a great contract in six years or so, but how hard is it to find a goaltender right now? There's how many teams that would love a a guy that they could rely on every night. I think there's a lot of organizations that are like, and after we get past our starter, oh yeah, we don't love what we have. No, the Flames are not that. I think the Flames really like like their depth at goalie. Yeah, like holy crap! And there's there's every bit of sports science that tells you like, hey, maybe running these guys out there 70 times a year as a goalie is maybe a bit much. And you have a few teams who are like, for more um, than the physical and mental aspect than anything. Yeah, you have a few teams who are like, okay. But, but. Uh, <laughs> have you seen the guy that's behind him? <laughs> right, yeah. Ab- absolutely hear what you're saying. 
However, but yes. when I got to pay <laughs> these forwards right. all this yeah. money, my top two defensemen this money, I'm not going to pay my backup goalie Phoenix $5 million. Phoenix rocking like a 750 <laughs> save percentage for the Kings. Woo! So yeah. uh, maybe maybe uh, we just ride this one into the ground. A save huh? percentage that is at league min. Oh, that's good. Hmm. Like, <laughs> yikes. Where would Tampa Bay be if they did not have the scoring ability that they have? They've, they allowed 69 goals, which is the second most in the Eastern Conference. It's yes, ridiculous they, that they're they... hanging out in a playoff spot and Vasilevsky <laughs> just took the first part of the year off. Well, Not they, for surgery. But. They, yeah. they, like Patty said, they just outscored their problems. Yeah. Kucherov was like, all right, no Vasi. I guess I'm just going to be elite again go and just a go win a heart trophy again because yeah. I can just turn it on at will. Oh, and also we have Braden Point, Steven Stamkos, Anthony Sorelli, Victor Hedman. Yeah. The list goes on. Mikhail Sergachev, yada, yada, yada. That Stamkos drama kind of went away when but, they started scoring nine goals a game. Oh, I don't think it's gone. It, it's it's back. It's been backburnered it's, anyway. It's, it's bubbling. Oh, okay. Perhaps. Steven Stamkos, future flame. Stamkos for Blidar, <laughs> goalie depth. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> that'll do it. <sighs> that would be so nice. I don't think he would ever come here, but could you imagine? Well, the fl- Conroy just goes the other just, way. Like, yeah, Stamkos and Nylander. Let's yeah, just, here we go. Just get the the two best players that Florida has seen for the last decade and yep. bring them up here. Yeah. yeah. There was no shock to the system last time. Should be fine. <laughs> They're used take to a break. <laughs> Around the corner, a few things we got to get to. Uh, I have a happy birthday that I want to deliver. Oh. I have a, a thought on Rasmus Anderson's overtime goal. I have um, an NFL conversation <laughs> we got to get to. One singular one. Yeah. Yes, I do. One yeah. stat. That's it. Okay. And then uh, I've been bamboozled by one of my heroes, and I'm going to tell you all about it. Oh, oh no. Yeah. I'm sorry. Sports at 960, the fan. Bit of a rabbit hole in the break there. <laughs> yeah. That uh, escalated quickly. <laughs> okay. I, I want to bring this to air. How, yeah, no, that's fair. How did this begin? Um, we Our were... conversation, I don't even remember what we said at the end of the segment at 7 o'clock. <laughs> you, somehow... you, uh, you wanted to bring a bunch of stuff to 7.30. Yeah, yeah. I had a whole bunch of <laughs> and I've crap. I forgot about a bunch it of nonsense. We were talking about non-playoff teams who need to make a trade because we started with um, uh, oh, Phoenix yeah. Copley with the Kings. We were talking about players on the Oilers that you can maybe try and trade if you don't make the playoffs, and there isn't a lot because they don't have a lot of UFAs. Yeah. Mm. Okay. And so I was, we were talking, oh, it was the, uh, the, the Speck article. Yeah. They, Mark they, Spector wrote an article about how their defense was terrible. Yeah. So they couldn't oh, yeah. spell grind if they, if you gave them the, the consonants, they couldn't spell grind. Yeah. That was what he wrote on Twitter. And so I said, Tanev for <laughs> Bouchard, you said you wanted nothing to do with him. Cause he's like Eric the, Carlson 2.0. Right. Which led us to, oh, Hey, Eric Carlson was good in that one playoff run. Which led us down a rabbit hole that somehow ended with Dion Phaneuf and something named Emilia Rassinen. Here's what happened. <laughs> we went, we went. who did Eric Carlson play with in his big year yep. when they went to the Eastern Conference Final 2016-2017? So then we went to Dauber and we found his past partners. Turned out he played with Mark Mathot for a lot of it. But he also played for Dion Phaneuf for plenty of that <laughs> season, which we had trouble recollecting that Dion Phaneuf was on that iteration of the Senators team, and he actually played, what, 20 games in the playoffs? Yeah, 19 games in the playoffs 19 at five games points. In the like, playoffs he was a big year? run, five points. Yeah. Yeah. He was a big part of that, yeah, that run. Yeah, you that Dion Phaneuf was part of a humongous trade between the Senators and the Maple Leafs, where the Senators acquired Dion Phaneuf, Matt Fratton, Ryan Rupert, Casey Bailey, and Cody Donahue. <laughs> at least two of those are made up. For 
Colin Greening, Milan McCulloch, Jared Cowan, Tobias Lindbergh, and a second-round pick that turned into Emily Rassinen. None of these guys are currently in the NHL. Ten players. The trade was February 9th, 2016. Collectively, they played just over 300 games. All huh. ten of those players after the deal. Dion Phaneuf played 250. <laughs> the other nine, well, like the, o- the, the other nine, yeah. the other nine amassed about six, sixty-five games between the nine of them. Just a straight salary wow. dump. Yeah, just straight salary dump. The Senators lost like two point seven five million dollars in cap somehow while also bringing in Phaneuf. Yeah, really weird deal. Senators needed Dion. That's yeah. what they needed. Well, Strange. then next year made a run to the, the conference final, so I guess he was that missing piece. It was all him, baby. Crazy. Been. Wild. Um, hey, happy birthday to Nick DeSimone. He's no. 29 today. Nice. Good happy for him. Happy birthday, Nick. Kind of crazy that he's 29, and a lot of people keep referring to him as that young defenseman out there. Right. Yeah, Look no. at this youngster, this young up-and-comer who has been dominating the AHL as a top pair defenseman for like five years. Yeah, yeah. like the fifth or sixth oldest flame? <laughs> <laughs> he might be. Yeah, he would He would be up there for sure. Well, they got some older players. Let me look. Yeah, let me look it up. Um, but I did want to pass along a little stat for you guys. Uh, like uh, Eric Francis maybe pointed out on uh, the old socials yesterday, it has been quite some time since the Flames have just straight up won in overtime. Going back to the start of the 22-23 season, 7-20 and 20 entering yesterday's contest. They are now 8-20 and 20 in extra time games going back to the start of last year. Did you know that the last person to score a goal in overtime that is a defenseman for the Calgary Flames was TJ Brody? Oh, <laughs> no. In March of 2020, a couple of weeks before everything oh, shut down God. for wow. the pandemic, that was the last time that a Flames defenseman scored in overtime um, to win the game. TJ Brody, back in early March of 2020. That is rather difficult to believe, mm-hmm. given like there is quite a bit of offensive talent on the blue Anderson's line. Anderson's been here the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. been here for all that. Uh, yeah. Hannafin, Hannafin. He's been here for all that. Yeah. A uh, 3-2 win at the Dome against the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, yeah. Sean Monahan and Johnny Goudreau assisted. Because of course they did. Yeah, it feels like that would be a trio in overtime. Yeah, there, there was a reason that the defenseman didn't. It was because a those two were doing everything for the team, and Sean Monahan was scoring all of the overtime goals. Right, and also they were losing in overtime, or yes. they have for the last like season and a half. Yeah. Back then they were actually doing okay because they did have control and they had Monahan, they could chuck, they had all those guys. And yeah, they would cook together. But yeah, I just thought that was kind of wild seeing some of the stats of the NHL throughout there yesterday. Yeah. TJ Brody, last flame to score in overtime wow. before yeah, Rasmus I, Anderson. It would have taken me a while to get that one. Yeah. But, <laughs> yes. uh, also, DeSimone, uh, there are eight players on the team older than him. Eight players. Okay. Yeah, the Flames have a little bit of an older team. Yeah, they're yeah. right in the middle of the yeah. pack there. Happy birthday, Nick DeSimone, 29 yeah. years old. You know George Russick loves a good adult birthday. So. <laughs> Figure we point that one out. Um, earlier on in the show, this is back at the end of the 6 o'clock segment, we were talking about the Chiefs and the Eagles, and uh, we were having a discussion on the Chiefs more so than the Eagles, because I think that we've all come to the decision based on our conversation earlier that the Chiefs probably win that game if they have a couple of receivers that can make a couple of plays. Yeah. The defense for Kansas City was smothering. Yep. They were dominant against an Eagles offensive line that a lot of people believe is the best in the NFL. 
They were dominant. Well, they hit Hurts. They were yeah. all over Jalen Hurts. He didn't have time to throw. They were getting hit at the line. Like some of the only things that were working for there were, were runs with DeAndre Swift, but they were getting good traction on the run game. In the end, for me, the Chiefs probably could have run away with that game in the first half if they had a couple of receivers who could have made out, gone out, made a couple of plays, and put up some more points. Because like we talked about, Travis Kelsey is doing everything he can out there. I don't think he's healthy. He is starting to get mm-hmm. older and healthy isn't really talking you know, about retirement. Uh, one of those this one. Yeah. Oh, does he have other things going on? <laughs> he said, yeah, he's got other things going on. Yeah. 10 yeah. surgeries. Yeah. Yes. And that's like, what, definitely what I was girlfriend. referring to. Girlfriend is a global superstar. Yeah. Who basically runs the world right now. That too. Yeah. But yeah, the, the biggest thing here was, the Chiefs, they don't have receivers. Mm-hmm. They haven't been able to get them because they wanted to improve their defense, and that's what you have to do when you pay Patrick Mahomes what you have to pay Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. The question came up. Rashi Rice, best receiver on the Kansas City Chiefs? Sure. Yeah. That's that's what we'll decide as a show. We'll go forward with that. But how many teams would Rashi Rice be the number one receiver on? I asked you to do some homework, Peter Klein. Yeah. What, what has your research revealed? I have come up with four. Uh, one of them might be a bit of a stretch. All of them suck. Okay, good. So, okay, it's a good place to start then. Yeah. All right, let's feel like there's a pattern here. Let's start with your list. Okay, give me one of them. Uh, the New England Patriots. The New England Patriots, where Jacoby Myers no. is a Raider. Is a Raider. Okay. Uh, um, is Juju still there? He is. But he's not yes. even their guy. They just had their. No, he just got hurt too much. Uh, Kendrick Bourne. Kendrick Bourne was, Kendrick their, was Bourne. their number one. Okay. So Demario, Demario Douglas, Douglas is, is kind of a mo- guy right yeah. now. Yeah, that's kind of been the Patriots' way, right? Like, they had Randy Moss, but apart from that, they had Wes Welker mm. and Edelman, who were kind yep. of, like, sturdy guys. But did yeah. you ever see them as, like, a top receiver in the no, league, a game-breaker? Solid no. work for the system that, that Brady and Bill ran there for so long. And that's actually the, the comparison a lot of people are making is, like, the this team is, like, the pre-Moss Patriots where Dion Branch was the number one receiver. And you were just like, hey, can Deion we Dion get- Branch doesn't drop that ball. Fair. Yeah, I don't know if he gets open on it. But, um, <laughs> like, are we going to get He Tom... doesn't get separation like that, that's for sure. <laughs> no, if he has can get some separation, that's one thing he does. He's good for, like, a 60-yard bomb a year. But And yeah. you've got Kelsey, and you've got Gronk, mm-hmm. and you've got a defense that is keeping you in every single game, and your offensive again, line is sturdy, and Tom your quarterback... Brady was never paid like a number one quarterback. He always took discounts in New England so the rest of the team could be filled out where they could have a really good defense, really good offensive line, really good secondary, really good line. Whereas the team was really good that Brady could took discount after discount after discount. He didn't get paid until the very end of his career. So that's where it's like, yeah, but the quarterbacks want their money now. They're not going to be the whole, I'm just going to take a discount because I'm good to have the rest of the team be good. It's strange because Tom... <laughs> Obviously, don't know him and haven't heard conversations on this. But now it feels like when a player is up for a new contract that they like to say, I'm doing this for the brotherhood of my position. Mm-hmm. I am raising yep. the, the top salary yep. so that yep. everyone behind me also raises the top salary. But Tom Brady was like, meh, you're killing your team. As these co- quarterback contracts will continue to rise. I mean, they won a Super Bowl last year. They did win a Super Bowl. I'm not. We're just saying like the Chiefs haven't won anything. But yeah. if they wanted ever to be like a Patriots, it ain't going to happen because you're paying Patrick Holmes too much money. Mm. They are kind of hooped if Kelsey just decides, yeah, I'm good. Like, like ten surgeries is probably he... enough. Yeah. <laughs> Even then, like, this is probably what we should probably 
be expecting from him from Next now year, until not, moving forward. Yeah. yeah. Unless not, unless they get more guys that take away some of the attention for him. Even just one. That's, that's even kinda, just one. That's kind of happened in San Francisco where Brandon Ayuk stepped up, where it's kind of like where George Kittle was kind of getting beat up these last oh, few years. He's been kind of like... Imagine Ayuk in Kansas City. Oh, my oh. God. Oof. But yeah. you kind of like now that, that there's other guys to take the pressure off George Kittle there in San Francisco, he's starting to pop off again, and he's yeah. feeling a little bit healthy. So... San Francisco, there's another thing. Well, they're paying their quarterback next to bloody nothing so they can fill out the rest of their roster. Philadelphia is going to be going through it here soon. They're already having problems in that secondary. They're already having problems on the defensive side of things. So when when Hurts money and what about A.J. Brown? He's going to want to get paid. Devontae Smith's going to want to get paid. These big teams that have top-of-the-line quarterbacks, they're top of the level. They're not going to be sustainable forever, and you're going to start seeing these trouble with Patrick Mahomes well, are not making the super plays well, uh, anymore. And the other thing, too, is if you're paying the quarterback that, what do you pay your backup? Exactly. You get yourself Jake Browning. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Great. You get Tommy DeVito. Great. Right. Yeah. And Daniel Jones isn't even making that much. <laughs> Daniel Jones is pretty, pretty good number. Tommy DeVito makes Daniel 41 Jones. grand a week. That's yeah. how much he's making, which is great. Well, he's it's not going to complain about it, but yeah. still, like he's compared to what Mahomes still pays his phone bills, <laughs> <laughs> pays for his insurance. Oh, he pays for a little bit more stuff there. He just buys food. He's just to write like fruit roll-ups on the bottom of the grocery list. <laughs> just, mom just goes and picks them up. Yeah. At this point, mom should know. Yeah, <laughs> mom, <laughs> twenty-three years here. Twenty-four yeah. years. I'm not going to keep writing this on here every week, mom. <laughs> um, on this note, the Giants are number two oh, on, okay, on this good. list. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sterling Shepard and Wishon uh, uh, Robinson, or what the heck is this? Uh, uh, oh, Wendell Robinson. Wendell Robinson. Rondale. Um, and they have. I always get him mixed up with the dude in Denver. Um, Slayton, right? Yeah, Darius. Darius Slayton yeah. is there as well. Yep. Darren Waller's your tight end, but he's hurt. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah he, I think he would be constantly hurt. I think he would kind of clearly be the number one with the, the Giants. Yeah. I, so, again, two teams, that were, it. two teams that we're not really looking at as the, the pinnacle of this, this football league right now. No. No. Uh, okay. Yeah. All right. Two. Third would be Carolina. Um, I, I think that he would like Adam Thielen is playing like a number one, one receiver because there's no one else there. But <laughs> the somebody's dis- got to catch a ball. The yeah, disrespect to Adam Thielen. Yeah, the ghost of. <laughs> yeah, um, still out there just chugging away. Yeah, and he's having a good year. Fucking a paycheck, man. That's all he's doing. He's doing good. Need some veteran leadership around there for your one win team. And my last one that I put on here is a bit of a stretch because I think if you would offer them a trade for their number one, um, the Chiefs would take it in a heartbeat. But I I put Arizona on here. Now, Hollywood probably Hollywood is Brown. better, mm. but I, I think it's at least a conversation. The catch he made on, was it Brown who caught that first touchdown in the Cardinals-Texans game? It was Rondale Moore. Rondale Moore. Yeah. <sighs> nice grab. Great throw by Kyler Murray as yeah. well. Hollywood's not dropping that pass deep down the middle either. Yeah, here's the thing. like it, When you are a team with Super Bowl aspirations, like the Chiefs, yeah. trying to keep this dynasty going, I understand that you have the utmost faith in your quarterback, in Patrick Mahomes. But you need to find some guys. You yeah. need to find some different guys that are going to help them get this thing over the hump because this, not working. No. Might have sacrificed a little bit on the back end, but that's just the... Uh, yeah, if you have the 15th best defense instead of the 8th best defense, yeah. but you are able to also get a receiver in there. And that was the thing, too. Like You could have, because of the success they have, you can bring in some of these more veteran guys at potentially a discount, I would assume. They haven't, but you, you would think that, that would be a way that they'd be able to to kind of build this thing out a little bit. 
Yep, you would think so, but uh, alas, that's not the case. The Chiefs do lose to the Eagles yesterday uh, in, in what was a, a pretty fun game to watch. Played it out in the cold there. And now that we uh, turn the page and we look towards week 12, we get uh, deeper and deeper into the NFL season. And yeah. it's Three games listen. Thursday, one game Friday. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a fun week plan because Thursday, the NFL rules all mm-hmm. yeah. Packers Lions goes at 10 30 Commanders Cowboys goes at 2 30 you get the 49ers and the Seahawks as your evening game at 6 20 a game you'll actually be able to hear right here on Sports Night 960 your home of the Seahawks uh and then on Friday you've got the Dolphins and the Jets at one o'clock in the afternoon which means it's going to be a little bit of a quieter Sunday for sure but nevertheless some good games to keep an eye on this weekend Steelers Bengals see what happens in that AFC North division Jags Texans that is a Huge game in that division, mm-hmm. which was basically for the division. Didn't see that coming earlier on in the year. <laughs> That's a bit of a surprise. Um, Chiefs, Raiders, always big divisional game. Bills, Eagles. That's a nice one in the afternoon set. Just the two games in the afternoon. Chiefs, Raiders, and Bills, Eagles. That's going to be tough for our, uh, our boy Scott Hansen on old red zone with just the two games <laughs> in the yeah. afternoon set there. Yeah. Um, also, okay, wanted to get to this um, because I've been teasing this and I think a lot of people saw this on the internet yesterday as well. Um, did you guys get bamboozled by Snoop Dogg? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we all did. Good. In case you're not <laughs> dialed to what Snoop's been up to, um, five days ago, he posted a picture on Insta- Instagram. Uh, the caption was, After much consideration and conversation with my family, I have decided to give up smoke. Please respect my privacy at this time. Signed, Snoop Dogg. And it was a picture of him doing kind of prayer hands five days ago. Um, As of this morning, it had over 4.7 million likes. It had over 175,000 comments. Some of my favorites include uh, my man Snoop giving up smoke is like Dominic Toretto giving up family. (laughs) (laughs) This feels like that moment when Forrest Gump stopped running all of a sudden. He just turned around and went home. Lots of people wishing Snoop all the best, and he really leaned into it, too. The next day, he had a sad selfie with the caption, respect my privacy. He's had a couple of sad selfies over the last few days with just, like, the smoke emoji <laughs> as the caption. It's been very strange. Um, I do have to say, it does feel like it's pretty easy to get Snoop to endorse something because you scroll through his Instagram, and it's like, Okay, it's, it's his Amazon Prime show, and it's his cookbook, and there's like random memes, and then there's a, a picture of a $10,000 donation he made to somebody. <laughs> it's a real who's who of everything. And then yesterday, he drops this. I have an announcement. I'm giving up smoke. I know what you're thinking. Snoop, smoke is kind of your whole thing. But I'm done with it. Done with the coughing and my clothes smelling all sticky icky. <laughs> I'm going smokeless. <laughs> Solo stove fixed fire. They took out the smoke. Clever. Yep. Duped. The whole time it was for a new stove that doesn't have smoke. The oh. entire time it was a grift for a product. This company, Solo Stove, that makes smokeless fire pits. Somehow, I want to know how much they had to pay Snoop Dogg to post on his Instagram, which has. 275 million followers yeah. that he was stopping smoking weed, which is essentially his entire identity and has been for his entire life. Yes. 
Yeah, has Smoke been his whole personality. Yes, exactly. That. That was him. Well, that wasn't him. That was, I think that's Dr. Dre, but that's his song. Smoke weed every day. Yeah. That was his thing. And it is good to know that he is still fighting the good fight. Damn right. Just had to get rid of that smoke with the stove. These fire pits are actually pretty cool. They are very cool. Go check them out. Solo and I stove. do think that they must have a lot of money to pay Snoop Dogg to say on social media, I am giving up smoke. And to run this gambit for not 24 hours, not 48, well, but yeah. a whole five days. Multiple posts. And he was on the news talking to people about it. People requested interviews, and he was talking about it on news stories. <laughs> he really leaned into it. Good for yeah. him, man. Good to him to sell it. This guy is just a just moving product these days. Yep. Oh man, the amount of money he must be making now, like, with, with all not of these music, things. right? Yeah, off shows with Martha Stewart and, and cookbooks. The, yeah, cookbooks. Get to hear him every Monday night football too. He's on the Monday yeah. night football theme. Yeah, you probably got something for that. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, not a bad gig. That's fun. I'm glad to see he's still smoking. Uh, speaking of uh, people who find solutions, next guy sells them. Brent Cron <laughs> stopped in. Uh, looking sharp two days uh, yeah, in a row, may I say. He's looking very good. You look, you look like you uh, didn't get a whole lot of sleep yesterday. Late game. I had a terrible sleep. Terrible sleep. All right, we'll get into that around the corner. Bro, <laughs> he looks kind of grumpy. Starts, oh, okay. Well, this is going to be fun. Sports at 960 <laughs> The Fan.